Baptist. You know, my dad had revival meetings at our church when I was growing up. And, um, and so I had, once I got, became 15, I got a job at a grocery store. And so, you know, I remember those, uh, those times before the revival meetings, I'd, I'd asked to have all day shifts. And so I'd have day shifts. And then when I was in high school, I was also doing homeschool, having that plus that, and then trying to uh, hurrying up to get to services. And then when we moved, uh, when I graduated from college and moved to Alabama, and I had a side job, I worked part-time as a youth pastor and part-time at a grocery store there. Um, same thing, you know, asking to get all my schedules switched switch to days, and then, you know, you're rushing home, you're rushing to get yourself uh, to, uh, home from work, and you're rushing to eat, and you rush here, and <laughs> by the time you get here, you're still you're singing the first song too fast, you know, because you've been rushing all day. And so, uh, I guess what I'm saying is, um, thank you for being here, even if you had work today. Who had work today? Anyone have to go to, to work today? All right. Thank you so much for being here. I tell you, it means a lot to me. I know it's like to, uh, to be rushing uh, to get there. But, uh, but even though you're tired, being glad that you came. And so, um, and so I'm thankful that you have um, uh, made the effort to be here. Um, I hope that God's word will help you tonight. Look at it. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 4. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to be looking at one simple Bible verse in Ephesians 4. I'm going to tell you what. This chapter is packed full of good stuff. I mean, there's, this chapter is just packed full. Actually, what I've been doing is I've been spending the last several weeks really studying into the entire chapter. I'm going to be spending um, a good portion, uh, or a couple of weeks out of this summer, teaching through this passage at a camp. And so we're going to be digging into every word of every phrase in the entire chapter over a two-week span with these teenagers. So I'm looking forward to that. But we're just going to focus tonight on one verse. A verse that, and uh, really on a topic, if I can put it this way, um, for those of you, you know, you're here, it's a Monday night, it's revival meetings, you have a lot of revival meetings here, and um, can I tell you this, I would say, out of all the passages that I've been privileged to preach in my lifetime, and then uh, um, passages represent messages, and out of everything I preached, I would say that this message is probably the message that is liked the least. <laughs> and you came for it. How exciting. Uh, you're here. Uh, you say, oh man, I wish I stayed at work, you know, or something like that. No, um, so let me just tell you why it's maybe um, the one that's like the least. Can I tell you, for one thing, I would hope it's not because it's boring, okay? I would hope that's not that. Um, but can I say this? It's not because it's complicated. You ever heard a preacher get way too complicated? There's nothing complicated about what we're going to look at tonight. Nothing at all. And it's not controversial. Sometimes uh, some of the messages like the least are when guys get controversial. I remember seeing um, an advertisement in a newspaper. It was an old one. Someone showed me. And it was an advertisement for this evangelist coming to town. And he actually asked the church to advertise him in the newspaper as the world's most controversial evangelist. That's not a good thing, okay? If you didn't know, that's not a good thing if you're known for that, okay? But listen, what we're going to look at really is not controversial, it's not complex, and it's not, bo I would say it's not boring because it's something that applies right to our lives. Um, so, um, so you say, well, why is it like so least? It, I mean, it's a simple message with simple scripture, but can I tell you this? You know what I found is that actually teenagers get this message a whole lot quicker than adults do. You know why that is? It's because teenagers often, if you will present them hope, they will grab at it and take it. But us adults have a very bad habit of stubbornly rationalizing away 
clear scripture that we hear. Because we want to do what we want to do. Don't we? And so what we're going to look at is uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, let me just kind of introduce it by saying this. Um, you know, we really live in a hurting generation. That would be a simple way to describe our culture, our generation. We live in a hurting generation. You just look around at what life is like. I mean, I don't, you know, depending on what website you read, I got su su such a, um, a variety of, of um, information on this. Of, I was trying to find out what is the divorce rate here in the United States, and I couldn't get a consistent thing on what the, uh, the percentage of divorce rate is in the United States. Let's just say, if we all got our eyes open, we know it's high. And you know, um, it's no wonder that people hurt. You know, when marriages are struggling, it's no wonder people hurt. Uh, it was back in 2017 or 2018, somewhere around, the, I think it was 2017, I read that in, in the year 2018, you ready for this? Uh, to, uh, this um, study said that there were 7.8 million children that were involved in child abuse reports just in one year. 7.8 million children, that's on um, physical abuse, sexual abuse, verbal abuse. And by the way, folks, these are the children who got to be in reports. Which again, if you have your eyes open, you would know that 7.8 million children, if that's all that was involved in reports, there's more than double that that were not reported. We live in a, we live in a hurting generation. Live in a very much hurting generation. Um, this is a very, this is a pretty old statistic. Uh, I don't know exactly how old. It may have been, it may be as much as 15, 20 years old. But um, at the time, what it said was that of 6th through 12th graders, it said that 28%, one out of four of them, about 15, 20 years ago, 28% of 6th through 12th graders will not get through 6th through 12th grade without being seriously bullied at least once. And folks, can I tell you something? That number is way higher today and by the way um, the bullying today is not just um, it's not just someone is picking on someone and pushing them and, and doing a little pushing and shoving and such folks if you don't again if you don't have your eyes open maybe you should because the bullying that's going on today is not just a little bit of pushing and shoving and name calling it is outright shaming people are because they got phones people are taking pictures of other young people finding them in compromising positions in the bathroom taking pictures of them and sharing them with a lot of people. This is, this is happening in public high schools, and by the way, it happens a lot. So it's no wonder that people are hurting. In fact, sometimes, just simply because of social media, there are teenagers who will get depressed and even commit suicide because of the things that, the pictures that people will take of them, or the things that people will say, the nasty words that people say, so long as they can hide behind a screen. It's an, it's an awful thing. We live in a hurting generation. You look at just the, um, the sexual immorality that happens here in our country. It's just unmanageable. And the, uh, the cheating that goes on uh, between, uh, from couples, even, even unmarried couples are cheating on each other. And it is, it's no wonder that people hurt. Uh, we just look around. You could just, if you have social media, you know that people are downright unkind. I mean, if you know now, you know I'm a, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and you know sometimes the Steelers on their Facebook page, they put a picture up of a player. Sometimes it's as simple as they put a happy birthday to such and such player. People, don't read the comments. It's amazing how cruel people will be if he is not a perfect player. People will say the nastiest things about him on his birthday. 
I mean, we're just, a, we're just a flat out unkind society. It's no wonder that people are hurting. People tell lies. People break promises. And so people are hurting. And you know what God says? God says to a generation that is dealing with so much hurt and pain and i think it would be if we could um parade everyone up here to come by the podium and spend five minutes at the podium i think every one of us could take all of five minutes to talk in extreme terms about people who have hurt us and you know what god says to a hurting generation of people he says folks you need to learn to forgive says you've got to learn it so look if you would at ephesians 4 verse 32 this is a verse we probably have uh, required children to memorize how about us adults take some stock of this verse here tonight and apply this to our lives before we ask the children to memorize it look at ephesians 4 32 it says and be ye kind one to another tender-hearted forgiving one another even as god for christ's sake have forgiven you. So what I want us to do tonight is I want us to look at this subject of forgiveness. Title of the message is simply from forgiven to forgiving. We're going to look at this topic of forgiveness tonight. What we're going to do tonight is actually, I don't really, uh, I rarely ever do this, but with this verse, instead, usually when you have a verse of scripture, you work from the top down to the bottom. If you don't mind, let's work this, uh, let's work tonight from the bottom of the verse backwards to the top. And I think it'll really kind of help us grasp especially at the start of it to um to kind of understand this whole um, process of forgiveness and, and by the way let me just say this i'm not going to be able to cover every aspect of forgiveness there are books written on this topic so sitting uh, sitting here for the you know in the next 30 minutes is not probably not going to cover every single thing that you could possibly know but i think it would be good for us to be confronted with some simple truths that one verse brings out to us about this topic of forgiveness so let's ask ourselves this question first number one what right does God have to demand that you forgive your thought on that what right does God have to ask people like us people who have been hurt people who have been damaged people who have been betrayed lied to injured by other people what right does god have to demand that we forgive look at the end of verse 32 it says that last phrase of verse 32 says even as god for christ's sake hath forgiven you so he says what right what right does god have to ask you to forgive you know what's neat about this topic of forgiveness is that jesus is not asking you to do something that he wasn't willing to do himself it's something that God was absolutely willing and uh, willing to do. Because think about this. Go back to your salvation now and think on that. Think about how who you were before you got saved. Usually we often we lose sight of who we were before we got saved. You know, before you accepted Jesus as your Savior, the Bible says that you were a sinner, that your very status was that you were condemned, you were a child of wrath. And, uh, you know, one of the ways... The Bible describes our sin in different, um, different terminology. One of the words that God uses to describe our sin is he describes sin as an offense against God. Here's a question. Has, there ever, has anyone ever offended you? 
<laughs> you're like, do you want them chronologically or alphabetically of them people who have who have offended me? Uh, maybe that's maybe that's how it is for you. You know, um, so people have offended us. Do you realize that your sin is an offense to God? So I want you to think on this. Just uh, I like this for a picture. It helps me to kind of remember um, who I am, where I've come from. Is let's just pretend, okay? Remember being kids and we said, let's pretend that we're going to do this. Okay, let's pretend because it would definitely be pretending. Let's pretend that you only sinned three times a day. Let's, that's, that's some major pretending probably for all of us. Let's pretend that you had uh, one bad thought, one bad word, and one bad action every day. Do you know that if you sin three times a day, times 365 days out of the year, that's an average about, it comes out to around a thousand sins in a year. And if you live to be 75 years old, that would be 75,000 times that you have offended God in your lifetime. And that number is actually way too small. Hey, what would you do with a person who offended you 75,000 times. You know, you, you'd say, um, uh, go away. You know, you would, the, the phrase we'd use today is, I don't need toxic people in my life, right? That'd be the phrase of today. We would say, listen, uh, keep away from me. I want nothing to do with you. But you know what's amazing? Is that even though we've offended God this many times, God still offers us forgiveness. And you know what's really cool is this word here in um, verse number 32, it's used twice, the word forgiveness. It's a Greek word, uh, a Greek word, eucharizomai, and the, right there in the middle of this word, eucharizomai, is the word charis. You know what that word charis is? It's a Greek word for grace. You know, you may, you may know a, a young lady whose name is charis. It's a, it's a name that simply means grace. So in other words, when God forgives someone, you know what he's doing? He's offering grace. You know what grace is? Grace is something, it's a gift that is given to someone who doesn't deserve it. And by the way, the, the idea of this word also, as it's used in the forgiving context, has the idea of it's not just giving any kind of grace, but it's giving a pardon. It's a grace gift of a pardon. You know what God gives to offenders like us? He gives us a pardon. When we, you know, you ever notice that, did you, you know, maybe one of you could tell me differently, but does anyone here ever have an experience that when you saw yourself as the sinner that God said you were, and you saw that your sin had to be punished, and you saw that Christ was the only answer, and you came to Jesus and said, God, forgive me my sins, and please make me, uh, let me be your, uh, be my Savior, let me be a child of God. Did any of you experience God going, you know what, let me think on this. Because you <laughs> and your offenses, uh, they're piling up over here, okay? Your list is piling up. Let me go back and research and see, what, see how much grace I got for you. You know what's great? Is that God's grace can extend beyond our sin. Romans 5.20 says, uh, says that where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Listen, by the way, friend, if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, maybe you think, Matt, you don't know what I've done. You don't know all the sin that I've done. Uh, you, I, I'm pretty sure God wouldn't want me. Hey, listen, friend, you're going to say that. Let me tell you something. You don't know the grace of God because God's grace can cover the highest pile of sin. He's that good. He's that kind. And you know what he does because of his grace is he offers 
a pardon. Out of a heart of goodwill, not out of a, par- a heart of, of anger or of um, begrudging, but out of a heart of goodwill, God gives undeserving sinners like us a pardon from our, for our sins. In other words, our sin deserves to be punished, but Jesus puts a pardon on top of that sin. But, and that's the idea of the word forgive here. But you know, and that's just the one word, but there's another um, word that's used um, throughout the, um, the New Testament that's also translated as forgive. And it's the um, Greek word, I believe it's aphiomi. And this Greek word has the idea of to release something or to let something go. And so, and so you know what God has done is that he has not only forgiven our sins, but he has released a debt that we owe to God. Thought, you ever thought about this? That as we sin, really what we've done is we have stockpiled a debt that we owe to God and God has eliminated the debt that we owe. Colossians 2.14 says, Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Now folks, that, that verse had a lot of, like last night, big word alert. There's a lot of uh, big words in there. And so he says, what in the world is he talking about? The handwriting of ordinances that was against us. There was, what he was alluding to was a picture of what they would do back in ancient times. What they would do is, you know, like today, people would loan each other money to be able to uh, do different things. And and so one of the things that they would do is they'd keep records of, you know, if you have, um, if the loan has gone out, they would keep record of how much interest you owed and how much you paid and how much you still have left. They would keep records of those things. And so when the debt was finally paid, when it was paid in full, you know what they would do is the person who had been loaning the money out, once he had been finally paid back every last dollar that you owed him, he would take that receipt and he'd do one of two things. He would take it and he'd write at the bottom of it, either he'd write, paid in full, or he'd mark it with a giant X. Did you ever go like to a mechanic or something and get some work done on your, um, on your car and your truck, and he's kind of old school, and at the bottom of that, of that paper he wrote, paid in full? That's what they would do back then. They'd write paid in full or put a big X on it. What they would do then is they would take that receipt, and they would take it to your door, and they would nail it to your front door. You say, why'd they do that? Well, why not? That's just what they did. Like, for example, today, um, you know, when, when people have probably the biggest loans we take out today are mortgages, right? What do people like to do today when they pay off a mortgage? What do they do? They, they party. Yeah, that's true, too. I was thinking of burning it. You ever seen people burn a mortgage? You know, once it's paid off, you don't owe the bank any more money. People oftentimes take their mortgage and they'll burn it. And, you know, the ancient people would look at us and say, why would you burn it? We'd say, why not? You know, <laughs> why wouldn't you burn it? And um, so that's what, because also today, we really don't want a nail hole in our doors at all. So, so we kind of switch the tradition. But the idea there is, is that when a debt was paid, they take it, mark paid in full, and they would nail it to your door once your debt was totally paid. You know what happened, folks, when you got saved? Is that Jesus took your debt of sin, a debt that was way too big for you to pay. He took it, he wrote, paid in full with his own blood, and he nailed it to his cross. And that is what Jesus did for undeserving offenders like us. He gave us a pardon for our sin, and he took the debt that we owed, and he nailed it to his cross at a cost, uh, a great cost of suffering, of abuse, of being separated from his Father. And so, folks, can I say this? Because Jesus has forgiven so much, He has every right to ask you and me to forgive. He has every right.
so, let's ask ourselves, since we know God has the right to ask us to forgive, let's ask ourselves, how do you forgive? Because, you know, there's, aren't there really kind of like some different ideas uh, from people about, well, how are you supposed to forgive? What's supposed to happen? Let me give you a few thoughts from this word forgive. Look at verse number 32. It says, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, it says, forgiving one another. Okay, so what is wrapped up in this word forgive? Of course, we know it has the word charis in the middle of it. It has that word grace in the middle of it. What does this idea, this concept forgive? How am I, if someone has hurt me and they come, they ask for forgiveness, how do I forgive them? Number one, realize this, is that number one, forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. Forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. Well, what, what am I choosing to do? Well, one thing, when you forgive someone, you are choosing to do what God did. You're choosing to give them a pardon. You're choosing to give them a pardon. You know, um, whenever, you know, our president has the power to pardon whoever he would like. Every president has had that power. It's something Congress can't stop. It's something the Supreme Court can't stop. The president is allowed to pardon people, and he's even allowed to pardon people that everyone knows is guilty and doesn't deserve a pardon. You know, some people think that, you know, like, if I, well, I can't forgive them because if I forgive them, that's like saying that they never did anything wrong to me. And if I forgive them, that's like me justifying what they did. Can I say this kindly? I don't know where you got that. But that is not forgiveness. In fact, when you give forgiveness, honestly, what you're doing is you're acknowledging you wronged me. Okay? So don't, don't go out of here saying, well, no, I can't forgive people. Because that would be like me uh, just justifying what they said. That would be like me excusing what they've done. No, 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 not at all. Forgiveness, can I say this? Forgiveness is simply a God-like act of graciousness to an undeserving person. So when you forgive, it's a choice to pardon someone who doesn't deserve it. No one's saying, uh, they didn't do anything wrong. No, actually, we're saying they did do wrong. And you're offering a pardon anyway. Well, why would I do that? Because that's what God did for you. Okay, but it's not only a choice to uh, give a pardon to someone, but it's also a choice to release a debt. Remember how God forgave you your debt? In the same way, again, the word forgive, it's not the, um, the word forgive that's also used in the Bible is a word that means to release. It means to let something go. You ever been told by someone, hey, you need to let this go. <laughs> you need to let it go. You know what that is? That is, the, that is one of the Greek words in the Bible for forgiveness. And you and I, we've got to choose, we've got to make the choice to offer undeserving people a pardon and release them from a debt that they owe. You say, man, I just don't, I just don't know if I'll ever feel like doing it. Hey, listen. Do you know that you probably will never feel like forgiving people who have hurt you? Doesn't mean you don't do it. You know, what if we said, well, you know what? When I feel like not stealing anymore, I'll stop stealing. We would say, what's wrong with you, man? You know, well, when I feel that it's the right time for me to stop murdering, I'll give up murdering. <laughs> We would say, what's wrong with you? But why is it then when it comes to forgiveness, we say, you know, when I feel like forgiving, I'll do it. Listen, people, forgiveness 
is a choice, not a feeling. When people have wronged us, we have to make the choice to pardon and to release from a debt people who are very much guilty of hurting you. So forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. Here's number two. <coughs> forgiveness then is to be given again and again and again and again and again and again and again. Is it for the same thing? Yes. You say, how do you know? Well, in Matthew chapter 18, it's an interesting situation. Peter, the uh, disciple Peter, comes up to Jesus and says, uh, how often, Jesus, if my brother sins against me and I forgive him, how often should I forgive him? And Peter says, till seven times? Okay, so we look at that and we say, oh, Peter, that's terrible. Seven times, that's awful. You know, why would you put the number so low? You know what he was actually doing, from what I've been told, is that the Pharisees, remember the Pharisees from last night? How many of y'all were here last night? Remember the Pharisees? Yeah. Those guys, one of those extra rules that they had put on top of people was they said, okay, <coughs> here's how it goes. You, they, they taught the people, okay, you've only got to forgive someone three times for the same sin. Then after the fourth time, you don't have to forgive them anymore. So what happens then is, what's happening? Peter comes and says to Jesus, okay, Lord, spiritual me. What if I take, the Pharisees say we're only supposed to forgive three times. So Peter says, what if I double it and add one? <laughs> oh, don't I look spiritual now? And Jesus says, no, you don't. <laughs> Not at all. Uh, actually, what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to forgive, what did he say? 70 times seven and, and again jesus was not saying count up 490 times and then you're done forgiving what we would say in today's language we would probably say no not until seven times but i tell you until seven times seven bajillion times you're supposed to forgive in other words jesus says you're supposed to forgive someone again and again and again and again you say matt why in the world would god expect me to forgive someone has hurt me that much. Here it is. It's because that's what God did for you. It's because that is what God did for you. So, forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. We're to forgive again and again and again. Then number three is that forgiveness, now listen carefully to this, forgiveness requires you to stop the replays. I want you to think on this and focus on this. This is going to be very important. Forgiveness requires you to stop the replays in this sense. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're like me. And you would say this. You say, Matt, I've been hurt and I couldn't, can never forget what so-and-so did to me or what so-and-so said to me. I can never forget that. Okay, now listen, you would say, well then why would you say you need to stop the replays. What are you saying? Okay, let's go back to our example. Our example is God, how God forgave us. Let's see what God did. What did he do? Well, the Bible says that God does not replay our forgiven sin. How do you know? Isaiah 43, verse 25. God says, I, <coughs> even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Hebrews 8, 12. This is even better. God says, for I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. Okay, so what is God saying? Now, a couple things have to be remembered here is that, you know, God is all-knowing, is he not? Not yet. Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, um, yeah he is all-knowing. 
He knows all things. So God cannot, can we put it this way? I, I, I put it this way. is that God cannot somehow supernaturally unknow something. You know, he knows all things. So it's not like uh, if you were to ask his forgiveness of a sin and then, you know, one day come up in heaven and say, Lord, I'm really thankful for how you forgave me, uh, you know, my, when I was 42 years old and I did this thing. It's not like God goes, you did a what now? I don't even, what are you talking about? God does not do that. I'm not trying to be, you know, trite or blasphemous, but that is not how God is. He cannot unknow things because he is supernaturally knows all things. He cannot supernaturally forget something. You say, well, then what is God doing when he says your sins and your iniquities will I remember no more? Here it is. Here it is. What he's saying is, is that God says that he chooses what he's going to think on. You know, God chooses what he's going to think on. You know, what he says he's not going to think about anymore. Every sin you've asked forgiveness for. God gets to pick what he's going to think on. You know what he says he won't think on? The sins he's forgiven. You know that you and me too, we pick what we're going to dwell on. Now, let me say this. You're probably like me and you can't control a flashback. You know, just boom, something comes to my mind. You're, you know, you're just trying to, you know, make supper. And, and all of a sudden you have a flashback to something that happened maybe a long time ago, maybe just a few weeks ago, and, and you remember details of something. Listen, when a flashback hits, that is when we are now faced with our choice. What am I going to dwell on? What am I going to think on? Listen, if you have forgiven someone, if you would say, well, I've forgiven them, then that means that there's no more dwelling on the offenses of the past. Like I said, you, we really can't control when a flashback comes, but, that me, but what we're saying is when we say to someone, I forgive you, what you're saying is, as God does for us, is that I'm going to choose not to dwell on it anymore. Because, you know, us, us humans, especially us American humans, we love to bring up past hurts, don't we? We love to remind, uh, especially the offender, you know, say, you know, now, you know, I did forgive you, but you know, I just want you to remember what you did to me really hurt. Just don't ever forget. I forgave. Now, I forgave you, but just remember what well, you did hurt me. <laughs> you know what that's not? That's not forgiveness. Because if you're going to forgive, you're going to stop bringing up the replays, not only to yourself, but to the offender. Because the replays have got to stop. You've got to stop dwelling on these things. Can't control the flashback, but you can control the replays. You know, it's also, not only are you saying, okay, I'm not going to bring up replays to the offender or to myself, but you're also not going to bring up forgiveness. If you really forgive someone, you're not going to bring up replays to other people. Right? You know, I'm not going to come down and, you know, uh, oh, good, it's Monday, so I'm not going to say, you know, Michael just did this mean, the meanest thing in the world to me, you know, a few nights ago. I just really didn't appreciate how he, you know, you know he took, a, he, he took a, a rock and he threw it at my face, you know, and then he threw it at my truck. And that was even worse, that he broke my truck, too. So, you know, I'm ticked off at Michael, you know, but if he comes to me and says, man, I'm so sorry, I should not have been throwing rocks at your face and at your truck. And I say, you know what, Michael, I forgive you. And he walks away, think, you know, with the assumption, wow, Mr. Matt has forgiven me. And it would be, I would not have forgiven him if I say that and then I come over here and uh, I say, and I say, is it Roger? Roger right here. If I said, Roger, I want to tell you all about what Michael did. He, you know, he smashed that rock into me, and you know, I hate him, and you know, I just don't like him anymore, and he's just not a nice person. That is not forgiveness. Because don't we do that? We say, we say now listen, now this, this is just a prayer request, but I just want you to know what this person did to me. Just pray that God will convict them. 
That's probably God will work on their hearts, you know, because they, they did all the awful. Let me tell you about all the awful things of one, two, three, four, five, these things that they did to me. I mean, I forgave them and all, but they, they just need God's convicted work on their hearts. Folks, that's not forgiveness. Because forgiveness requires that we stop the replays. Why? Because that's what God does for us. That is what God does for us. So then how about this then? Um, then the, here's one last thing I want to bring out. How do you forgive? Remember, forgiveness is a choice, not a feeling. A choice to uh, pardon and a choice to release from a debt. And then forgiveness also has to happen again and again and again and again. And then forgiveness requires that we stop the replays. Here's the last thing I want to give you tonight. Is that forgiveness is that you need to have an attitude of forgiveness. Because, now I think this is really important. You know where a lot of, um, you know where probably most of us dwell? You ever noticed how uncommon it is? You ever notice this? How uncommon it is for someone to come up to you and say, you know what I said was wrong, will you please forgive me? You ever notice that that just doesn't happen very often? Not even in the church. It just doesn't happen very often. I mean, one thing I'm, you know, my dad had his flaws, but I'll tell you one thing my dad was very good at. He was very good and asking forgiveness when he had done something, when he had spoken in a way that hurt us. He was very good about coming. And I, I, I thought it was normal for people who hurt you to come and ask forgiveness. You know why? Because my dad asked forgiveness all the time, and he also gave forgiveness all the, all the time, and he required us kids to give forgiveness all the time. I thought that was the norm. And then I started meeting humans. And I found out that's not normal. So let's address this then. What do you do when someone has hurt you, and it's as clear as can be, they're not going to come and ask you for forgiveness anytime soon? Probably never. What do you do? Now, some people would, uh, I've had one person say, uh, one person said, well, you know, uh, they haven't asked me for forgiveness yet, so I don't have to give them forgiveness yet. Isn't that nice? And it was kind of this spirit of, <laughs> I don't have to, you know, I can still hold them really in a state of bitterness. And so, what does God expect of me? If someone has not asked for forgiveness, what am I supposed to do? Because, you know, the Bible says, if he repents, then forgive him. But suppose they never repent, then I guess technically I can't ever forgive them. What am I supposed to do if they're never going to repent? They're never going to come and try to reconcile. Here's what God says. You need to have the attitude of forgiveness. Well, what is it? Look at verse 32. It says at the beginning, it says, and be kind one to another. Here it is tenderhearted. You know what the word tenderhearted means? It means to have compassion and pity on someone. It's the word that means that your stomach churns when you see a, an animal, a child, a person suffering. That's the word compassion. You know that, that churning that goes, that pity that goes on in the deepest pit of your stomach when you see someone suffering? That's the word compassionate. That's the word tenderhearted. So Jesus says that so long that even if someone has not yet asked forgiveness, you need to be tenderhearted towards them, which has the idea of you are ready to forgive them should they ask. You know, you ever think about um, when Jesus was on the cross? What did he say? As those men were down below, they're gambling for his, uh, for his garments. Jesus said to, the, to God the Father, he said, Father, forgive them they know not what they do. Now, had those soldiers asked God for forgiveness? No, they hadn't. They hadn't. So, 
well, then why in the world was Jesus, was Jesus just saying, God, override everything there and just forgive them anyway? No, 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 no. What Jesus was saying there was, he was saying, I am perfectly willing to forgive the men who nail me to a cross and all they can think about as God dies on a tree, all they can think about is, I wonder how valuable his clothing is and if I can steal it from the next guy. And yet Jesus was willing to forgive, even though they still hadn't asked for and he says, that's what I expect of you. Because I've been, you know, think of how many years, how many days we offended God and broke God's heart with our sin, and yet he still offered you forgiveness another day. And how often God has done that for us. So he says, be <coughs> tenderhearted, forgiving one another. But he also says, at the very beginning of the verse, he says, and be ye kind one to another. So in the meantime, God says, yes, they have not asked for forgiveness, but in the meantime, you know what God says? While you're waiting for them to ask forgiveness for their offense, and while you're waiting, and it'll probably never happen, you know what God says? In the meantime, be kind to them. Adults, we need this verse about as badly as the kids do that we make memorize this thing. Because we usually pick out the people who have hurt us we say, these are the people I don't have to be kind to. You know, isn't it nice that God was kind to you in the days and the years before you got saved? You know, isn't it amazing? God didn't go, you know what? You're still not a Christian, so I'm going to make life horrible for you. You're just going to, everybody you love is going to die, and I'm just going to make you uh, have all kinds of diseases, and, I, and I'm just going to make you suffer, and I'm going to let your money, your money will never go anywhere, and you'll never get ahead financially. And, oh, you got saved? Now I'll be kind to you. Isn't it nice God doesn't do that? Isn't it awfully kind of God to do something for undeserving offenders like us? And so he says, do the same for others some simple thoughts on how to forgive. Let me ask this last question. Uh, we've seen what right does God have to ask us to forgive. We ask the question, how do I forgive? Here's the last question. Is why don't people forgive? I want you to think on that. Think on it. Why don't people forgive other people? You know, there can be multiple reasons, and I don't claim to have all of them, but I can give you a few you know, some people don't forgive other people because of pride. You know what pride says? Pride says they don't deserve forgiveness. Can I tell you something? You're right. They don't. And neither did you, but you wanted God to forgive you. Do you know what it's called when we want God to to give us something that we are not willing to give to others, you know what that's called? Hypocrisy. When we want God to forgive us, but we insist that so-and-so will never get our forgiveness, you know what that is? That is pride. That is really what it is, is it's assuming the role of God in determining, I know who deserves forgiveness and who doesn't. That is taking the role of God. That is a proudful arrogant thing to do. Pride says, oh, they don't deserve forgiveness. Hey, you're right. But that doesn't mean you don't forgive them. Um, another reason why people don't forgive others is anger. Anger says, I want them to feel the hurt that I felt. 
folks, again, aren't you glad God doesn't do that to you? Aren't you glad God doesn't go, you know what? You know what? I'll forgive you, but you've hurt me a lot. So we're doing purgatory. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that? That, okay, I'm just going to make you suffer for a little while. You know, do some purgatory or something like that for a little while. Then you can come to heaven and be with me. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that to us? Instead, what does he do? When he forgives, he doesn't say, oh, I want you, he doesn't in anger say, well, I want you to suffer a little while. And then you can have forgiveness. No, um, no, and, and the same thing for us, that we are, oftentimes it's anger that keeps us from forgiving others. But you know one other one that um, I think is a very real thing, why don't people forgive others? One other reason could be hurt. You know what hurt says? Hurt says, I'm not able to forgive them. Folks, um, for one thing, God would not ask you to do something that he is not willing to enable you to do. That's number one. Number two, and this isn't everything, this isn't everything, but I think for our, our minds, it really helps us to remember that there are people, we could probably always find someone who has been hurt worse than us who forgave. And it helps us keep in perspective. You know, for example, one, uh, one instance I think of and just is, uh, oh my goodness, it just encapsulates this, is back in June 2015 in Charleston. I was just there last month um, <coughs> preaching in a church back uh, there in Charleston. There was a young guy goes into a church, Wednesday night prayer meeting. Guy goes into a, a Wednesday night prayer meeting and there was a small church and about, uh, from what the report was afterwards, 12, about, I think it was 12 people, maybe 13 people. Yeah, 12. 12 people gathered there for church and this, uh, this guy, his name is Dylan. Dylan goes in. He's the 13th person. They said afterwards that uh, Dylan was greeted with a Bible, a smile, a handout, and a chair. He didn't even bring his Bible. So they, they got a Bible for him. They got a chair for him. He sat down. They had a little circle, and they had a, a, a Bible study that went about 45 minutes. And Dylan sat there with everybody else and, you know, visitor on Wednesday night, just like any other visitor, right? And had this, um, had this time. And uh, so when the Bible study was done, the, uh, whoever was in charge said, all right, let's bow for prayer because they were done and when the church members those 12 would gather when they bow their heads for prayer dylan revealed to the church why he attended that night and what dylan did was he pulled out a 45 caliber pistol and began to murder the people and began to shoot them gun them down the report said afterwards that he actually some would go down begged for mercy and he would stand over top of them and shoot them again until they stopped. This was, by the way, this was a white kid went into an all-black church. You say, well, it might have been coincidence. On this case, it wasn't. He actually said afterwards, he said he hoped his actions would bring back segregation and start a race war. I mean, those are the words of a pig that is sick. It's disgusting. And um, he goes and mur- he didn't kill everyone, but most everyone in that room that night died. Of course, Dylan, he's captured and um, taken to trial. He's um, proven guilty in court. And you know, I don't know how this all works. And different courts do things differently, as, uh, as uh, I've, I've kind of noticed. But you know, one of the things they did was that they allowed 
the family members of these victims to speak to Dylan. And I remember watching, people, I'm just telling you this, tonight on YouTube, you can go on, I think it's, I'm pretty sure it's on YouTube, everything's there, that's, I think that's the venue I watched it on, um, you can go on YouTube and watch, and you can watch this family gather in, it looks like just some kind of a, a big room, there's lots of chairs and maybe some couches sitting around, and this, the family members had gathered, and you could see there was a TV screen up here, and in another room, maybe it was somewhere else in the building, maybe it was in a totally different building, but Dylan was brought in front of a camera, and he was stood in front of that camera, there were speakers in that room, and in the room with all the family, there was a microphone. And so whatever was said amongst the family could be heard in Dylan's cell, and Dylan, as he stood there, could hear everything that was being said. They could see his face, see his reaction in real time. You could see Dylan standing there in chains with two armed guards behind him, and the family was allowed to say anything they wanted. Folks, let me read to you what some of them said. One person said, lady said, I forgive you. She said, you took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. God have mercy on your soul. Well, uh, a man, gentleman there said, you know, I forgive you. My family forgives you. Listen to this. But we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent, confess, give your life to the one who matters most, Christ. In the midst of their grief, you know what they realized? He is still a man that God made, that God loves, and that God died for. Whoa. Here's another woman. This woman was a survivor. She said this. She watched all this happen. And in tears, she said, we welcomed you Wednesday night into our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautiful people that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts. But as we said in our Bible study, we enjoyed you. And may God have Like I said, it may not be everything, but I don't know about you, it helps me to see someone else who has been hurt a lot deeper than me say, I forgive you. By the way, Dylan had never asked for forgiveness. Here she is, tender-hearted, kind, willing to forgive. Why? Because um, that's what Jesus did for them. You know, you know, folks, I think if we looked up this church you and I would probably go, oh, they're doctrinal statement. There's some things on there I just don't agree with. And I would, there's some things on there pretty sure I wouldn't agree with either. But somehow, those people have forgiveness down. Hey, us doctrinal, Bible-knowing people, listen, our Bible knowledge of God is no good if we can't forgive. So I, I do know this. I do know everyone in this room has been hurt. Why? Because that's just human nature. Everyone's been hurt. But I don't know if, I don't know if you're holding on anger, to bitterness. Probably for most of, most of you, there's people who have hurt you probably haven't asked for forgiveness. Maybe they have. Folks, can we not be like our Savior? 
who was willing to forgive us, can we not offer someone else forgiveness? Listen, God is willing to enable us to do anything He's asked us to do. You say, Matt, I can't forgive. You are absolutely right. I'm glad you finally got there. You finally got it. You can't do it, but He can. And He is willing to strengthen and enable the weakest in this room to do what He's required. Will you obey? Will you forgive? Don't listen to pride. Don't listen to anger. Can we even say, be careful listening to hurt? Because hurt oftentimes, I'm not demeaning it, but hurt, and I've been hurt, will keep you from wanting to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving. Let's offer forgiveness to those who don't deserve it. Okay? Let's bow our heads. <coughs> heads bowed and eyes closed. Folks, I know this is heavy tonight. Like I said, this is probably the least liked message that I preach. Folks, we better decide how we're going to respond to other people. So let's ask a couple of questions. Number one, 